0: never know what somebody's going to say in these groups. Okay. Over the last few weeks when I have been here to share, we've been uh, really diving into the concept of Christ in me and me being in Christ, abiding in each other and becoming and really merging into a new creature, a new person. We're going to continue in that same vein, but there's an aspect to this, hopefully, where we can tie everything together today. I must, or he must increase, but you must decrease. You must decrease. He must increase, but you must decrease. In John chapter 3, that's one of those scriptures that we've heard multitudes of times. And it's easy just to click our mind off because we've heard that and we know everything that's there. Well, I believe there's a, a picture here of perhaps where some of us might be in our walk with the Lord and for such a time as this, the traditions of men that we've been trained and we walk in, maybe from Bible study groups or or people we fellowship, because we're in contact with people of all belief systems really around us, day in and day out. But the key is going back to the Word and seeing what it actually says. The key is understanding what it says and what I believe here and what I'm gonna take it and walk in it or it doesn't do me any good. This is something we should be living and not just know about. I mean, does that make sense? All right, so in John uh, John chapter three, in verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group that were totally separated is what that means. They were separated to live for God. They were serious, they were sold out. They, they, uh, as far as they knew, they were the real deal. They were so sold out to the point where, based upon the cultural influences of Greeks, the Greeks coming in, they were being pushed out of their Judaic belief system and the Greeks were trying to absorb and assimilate them in. So the Pharisees rose up between them and the Sadducees and the Essenes. Those were the major religious sects or flavor, if you will, uh, of those that were following God in that season. And one of the the things they did, they believed in the supernatural. They believed in the fallibility of the Word, which was the Old Testament of God. They were great theologians. And so they knew the supernatural was there, but yet they were the same ones that dug in to study the law to the point where they began to slice and dice, and they began to add to it And so they became a system of thought, of works. You have to do this, this, and this. You can't do this and this, or or you will not be able to make your way into the kingdom of God and and be uh, in his presence. Totally based on whether you were good or whether you were evil enough. The problem they had was nobody could keep all those, and you never knew when there were enough positives or negatives that were going on in your life. So this man called Nicodemus, he walks over and he, he uh, comes to the house that evening, uh, that particular evening, actually. Uh, he did that as what I believe, and some people uh, believe it was, he didn't want people to know he was there. But he was well known, he was wealthy. Everybody in, in the city knew him because of the leadership role that he took. And everywhere he went, it would, t- it would stir up and there'd be people that would be wondering what was going on. This was for him. I believe this man, wanted to know an answer, and this is the reason, I believe they're right here in this next scripture, of why he went to him at night. He knew Jesus had something that he was walking in, and he knew from the scriptures in the Old Testament, which he learned, he knew that, he was a master of them. He knew there was something he was missing that Jesus had learned to walk in. and He didn't know he was the son of God at that point. He just knew this was a guy who had the goods. So you'll see here in chapter 2, or verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. Now what that word Rabbi means is a, a recognition of honor of somebody that teaches the law, somebody that teaches the word. He apparently, Nicodemus, had apparently gone out and been in those settings where Jesus was speaking on the word of God and where he was applying it and taking it and, and uh, he had judged what he heard from Jesus, recognized he was not a man who'd gone to sit at the feet of Gamaliel or any of the other great masters, but yet there was a definite anointing and truth on what he was preaching and teaching. He knew the real deal from his experience over the course of the years. All right, so that's good. That, that, that's where he was. He was in the Word, you see. Father, Son, and Bible. Okay, instead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But he says this, and this is what he couldn't explain. This is why he goes to him. Because there were a lot of rabbis around. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. The miracles testified. There is a supernatural dynamic. You've got the goods on this. where, Where are you coming from? How do you walk in this? Explain this to me. I want, if this is God, I want to get a hold of it. I want to walk in it. And we've got a decision we've got to make. Are we going to walk in the traditions of the fathers and the Western mindset and traditions of of the, the West, which is basically dealing with a word mentality? Are we going to take the word and power and go out and change the world? The season we're in, we're destined, we've been called to be a church to take healing to the nations. Are we going to be faithful to do that? If y'all recall, the first day I got up here and began to share as senior pastor, that came out of my mouth. This church has destiny. Everyone in this person, every person here has a destiny in Christ. Are we going to walk in that destiny? Are we going to continue on staying in a comfortable place? Because it's going to cause sacrifice. And it's going to be a cost to it as well. So we're going to have to be willing to pay that price to do this. I think it's worth it. This man was willing to do it. And we know he eventually became a follower of Christ and Joseph of Arimathea, two guys that were in the Sanhedrin, which it was not convenient for them to be believers, take my word for it. Their lives were at stake in that season. But they did what they did anyway and buried him later on. So what's about to happen here and we're about to get into, Nicodemus bought into it and began to realize, hey, this is where the truth is, right here. We've got to walk in power and in the Word, both of them. But we have to decrease, and he has to increase in us. So Jesus answers his question here and said, Verily, Verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus looked at him and said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? We miss something in that scripture often when we read over it. You see that word in the, the second sentence there, the way this is displayed, third sentence up here. How can a man be born when he is what? How many times do we just skim through that and don't realize that word in the Greek stands for and means someone that is a very old man. You see, when we talk about being born again, which Jesus was talking about here again. This man knew what the word born again meant based upon his traditions because the word born again meant six things in, in the, the mindset of somebody It was a first century uh, believer in Judaism. Number one, it was a person who becomes a convert. Number two, it's a person who is an anointed king. When he, they are actually anointed, they become born again. Number three, A boy, when he becomes a man at the Bar Mitzvah, was born again in his thinking. Number four is when one gets married, he's born again. Uh, Number five is when one became a rabbinical college student, he became born again in the Old Testament concept in their thinking. And the sixth meaning of this, one would be born again when he became a rabbi. So he's looking at him, he's an old man, he's thinking, I've done all this. I've already done every one of those. What are you talking about? I've got to be born again. This is the concept. He, see, Jesus took him right where he was. He knew how brilliant this guy was. He knew how learned he was. And so he comes and meets him right where he is. And then Jesus answered and said, Verity, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it came from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus takes him right where he is. And this is what he knows that this man knows. See, he's a master of the Word. Remember that? So now Jesus goes back and makes reference to the things that this man had been trained in. He says, okay, Nicodemus. This is what he actually said to him. What do you know about in the Old Testament that says about when, when, for such a time as this about the things of the Spirit and what God's going to do? Is it word only or is there something in the dynamic of the Spirit that's supposed to be happening? In Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28, Nicodemus knew this. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water. There's the water. Upon you, and you shall be clean, and from your filthiness and from your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. Jesus is saying, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. What does it say? And he you know, this man knew the scriptures. He was pointing right back to where he was and what he knew. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people. I will be your God. In Jeremiah 31, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel eleven seventeen 17-20 Thus saith the Lord, I will either gather you from the people and assemble you out of all nations where you've been scattered. I will give you the land and they shall come here and, I will ta- and they will take away all the detestable things and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take that stony heart of flesh out and I will give them a heart of flesh that they, they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And then again in Psalm 51, 8 through 10, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The concept of being born again was not new. The concept of being born again, what what dynamic that Jesus was talking about, was clearly talked about and prophesied in the Old Covenant. And Nicodemus knew it. That's where he met him right there. That Nicodemus, you know about being a born-again in all these other ways. You've got this teaching. There's a dynamic here now of entering in. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue that you're going to have to enter into. He didn't understand that it was a process. And the beginning of that starts in John 6:44, where it talks about that the Holy Spirit must move on, other, on men and on their heart and draw them before they can be born again. I'm going to read that out loud loud, uh, appropriately. You got that up? Pull it up for me. John 6, 44. No man could come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Unless the Father draws him. You know, we are... Felt like we've got free will and we can do what we want to do. And we've heard a lot about uh, the Christianity over the course of the years. Maybe grew up in church. And we think that we can ignite this thing anytime we want to. That I'll just wait and I'll go through college and I'll do some of the things I really want to do and not worry about getting my life right with God. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a, the thing called grace that God gives us. That's His unmerited favor when He begins to draw us by sending His Spirit in. He, He gets in our hearts. He begins to do a work in us and we begin to get a desire. We begin to to realize that we're not totally right, that we're broken, that we're we're in bondage to sin at whatever level that it is that we're involved in. That spirit, his spirit, the Holy Ghost must draw us first to that place of repentance. Otherwise we're not going to ever get in this process and it's not going to ever happen. So I want to encourage you, don't Take lightly the conviction of Holy Ghost stirring in your heart. When you feel that pull coming at you, it's time, He wants to do a work in you and start this thing called a process called salvation. That's gonna be ignited by us being born again. And the first thing that we're gonna be asked to do and when He gets in here in our hearts is repent. Whatever it is that we've been doing in our life that's not right, whatever falls short of His glory, this, uh, this, this not co- uh, correct, that's what we're going to have to uh, go ahead and repent of and turn away from our old life and renounce that with the intention of never going back there again. Why do you suppose people in the first uh, century, they didn't have the Bible uh, as we know it, they didn't have a lot of other things that we have now, but yet they sold themselves out totally to live for Jesus. Why? Think about it. They were under severe persecution. See, Jesus, when we're born again, reaches out His hand and gives us a hope that we never had. He gives us deliverance from the shame that we've never been delivered from. He gives us the peace that every one of us have longed for our entire life. He gives us relationship at a level that we didn't ever know we could enter into. So yeah, those people, they didn't have a hope. They were hopeless. They were that hope. And so are we. The mask of this wealth in this nation will have us to believe otherwise, but it's a facade, it's a house of cards. And when the, the, and the other cultures and kingdoms of hell over the course of centuries, when they fell, those that were Christians that were assimilated in the world system, they struggled mightily because it's a hard thing for them to, to walk through that. But those that understand who they really are in Christ— They are the ones that champion and they rebuilt on the other side of that every time when that happened. That's what God has called us to do in such a time as this. So we have to realize that we're a sinner as the Holy Ghost draws us. We repent. We turn away from our old life and renounce those things of darkness. And we all know what those were. And then we're to be converted. We need to turn toward living for Him. We do that by getting this Word into us, by fellowshipping. By listening and not just uh, at at random paying attention, looking like we're really getting into the service on Sundays or in faith faith group or whatever it is, and learn how to sit there with our eyes open when we're really asleep. Boy, it was a good nap I had in church on Sunday. Amen, I needed that bad. Now, we need to be taking this and being serious about it because... We don't just put anybody at random up here to to share the word. This word is prayed over. Getting a word from, a download from God. People that that know the Lord and are serious about it, that are walking holy, sold out, separated. That have a heart to train everybody here to, to be an overcomer. And not to be caught up in this world system and be drawn out regretting later when we look back where we were to where we come from. We should be walking a walk like this, increasing more and more holiness, walking in victory. Uh, Originally, it was lay up here. It was way down here, right? But as we learn more and more about the Word and walking in moderation, it goes more and more like this. So we're talking about being born again here, the initiation of something that Nicodemus knew, but he didn't understand what Jesus was saying specifically on this. And Jesus is educating him. We're not leaving that dynamic here at all. So be converted and turn toward living for him and receiving his forgiveness. And believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing him with our mouth that he is Lord. Believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what he was communicating to him. That's what each one of us has to walk the same path. Be born again. Lay our life down. Learn of him. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. I make him the master of my life. Now, if I do that, it's not just saying, Jesus, come here and save me. It's saying, okay, I realize you paid the ultimate price for me. You you died on that cross. You were beat to a pulp for me, for my healing. The blood was shed. Everything's covered by that blood. The least I can do is bow my knee down and say, okay, I don't have a whole lot here, God. I give it to you. You can have every bit of it. I want to know what your will is for my life. I want to know what your plan is. I want to know where you want me working. I want to know who you would have me to marry. I want to know, just just everything's yours, God, so just tell me. I want to learn the dynamics of your kingdom. I want to learn how to be that giver that you talk about in the Word and walk at that place of sowing and reaping. I want to understand that, God. I want to know the perfect freedom and liberty of worshiping you. I want to know this, how to walk in this thing called your peace and what that means. But, Lord, I, as Lord, I want to know what it really means that you really dwell in here and it says that you're in me. What does that really mean? And how do I walk that out? And see, so that's what this, this series is about right now, that we've got to get a handle on the address where Jesus is right now through the Holy Spirit. Where is that? Where's, where's Christ in the church today? Where is he? Where, is Christ here today? What's his address? Okay, a couple of us, let's all do this. <laughs> it's not Jesus that lives in my heart. You know, you, you tell that to a little kid and they look at you and say, How's, Daddy, Jesus is in your heart? How did he get in there? Okay. You ever had that, your baby ask that? I've had some of your dads, our D-dads here, have told me that. No, he's not just in our hearts. He's in every part of our, I mean, everything in us: our bones, our flesh, if we're allowed to be, our brain, our mind, our eyes, our mouth. Yeah. And we learn to co-labor with him, we learn to hear his voice. But it all begins in this process called sal- uh, sanctification and salvation. It starts out by being born again and walking hand in hand with him. And we have another story here in the same book. I'm not, we're not through with this yet. Let's go ahead and go on down further. because Actually, Nicodemus asked three questions here in this narrative, and we're going to go back to this. because We've talked about being born again here and where the wind blows. He doesn't know what, but you can feel that when the Holy Spirit begins to lead us. Verse 9 here in chapter 3 of John. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel and you don't know these things? In other words, the scriptures that I just read, you knew those scriptures. You know this concept. So why is this shocking you? Because you've got some traditions there that would nullify this, is the only reason. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we know. We speak that we know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I apologize to y'all today because the Holy Ghost has been on me from the very get-go of this service. And y'all know how I leak when the Holy Spirit gets on me. So I'm I'm having to read the the word through tears of Holy Ghost joy. Amen? So y'all bear with me in that respect. I know this truth here. I know this sets people free. This is is one of those have-tos we get this in our spirit and begin to walk in this victory, we'll begin to share this with others. With no, I mean, it'll be just flowing forth from us. Let's switch gears. We're going to go to a second narrative that's here in chapter 3 of John, and that's John's testimony to Jesus and some of the, the uh, followers, apostles, or disciples, a better word, of John the Baptist. And we're going to shift over to the Passion Translation. And we're going to go first into uh, verse uh, 17 here in chapter 3. And there's a, a, a narrative going on, a conversation taking place here. But we're going to start here first in 17 before we get into uh, where John is. Because this, this puts it in a dynamic and focus for us that really lays it out there for us. Verse 17 God did not send his son into the world to judge, he condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it, rescue it. Now, we know that from the King James Version, how we normally have read that. This is what it actually says in the Aramaic, which was the actual spoken language, most likely, well, this was spoken at the time. So that they shall live by His hand of power. So that they shall live by His hand of power. The power of God is embedded within the very meaning Of what verse 17 says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, are rescued, or shall live by the hand of his power. We should be walking in the power of God, of Jesus, as as a part of this daily walk that we walk in. Verse 20. See what? Let's skip on down to verse 27. Let's do that we get to into John and his situation when he's talking to this uh, follower here. John answered them, a person cannot receive even one thing unless God bestows it. You heard me tell you before that I am not the Messiah, but certainly I am the messenger sent ahead of him. This is John speaking to his disciple. He is the bridegroom and the bride belongs to him. In other words, the bride, us, we're family. John wasn't even family at that point. He wasn't born again. That hadn't happened yet. That wasn't possible. He was pointing people toward the cross that was coming. We're on the other side of the cross. We take advantage of salvation that's already been provided. He was believing in salvation to come. I am the friend of the bridegroom who stands nearby and listens and has great joy to the bridegroom's voice. Listen to that. Listen to that. He said, I stand nearby. I listen I have great joy as a result because I hear the voice. I stand close to him. I hear the voice. Great joy comes forth. That's who we are. That's the way we should be walking in a relationship with him. And because of his words, my joy is complete and overflows. So it's necessary for him to increase. It's necessary for him to increase and for me to be diminished. His power should be increasing in me in my life. There should be a transformation in me becoming more like him in my life. There should be a thought life shift where I begin to think more and more like him. There should be a sensitivity in my spirit man that should become more and more like him as we go. After salvation you must be born again. There's no option on that for this process to begin for you to understand what we're talking about here. After salvation is receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. In Verse 8. For you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the world. There is a power that was loosed in Pentecost or at Pentecost that is ours, and that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues that goes along with that. If we're going to operate in the power of gifts, we need to understand the power going back to the, the overflow that comes forth from the springhead that's in our hearts to where the gifts flow forth. And all that goes back to the baptism in the Holy Ghost. So it starts out in this process of getting saved, then we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we begin to move with those gifts as we begin to learn those. And this process continues on as we work it out in fear and trembling in Philippians or Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. The goal here is Christ in me. Colossians chapter 1 27. This is what God wants in me. He wants more and more and more. See, we're becoming one person. Holy Spirit and myself, or Jesus and myself, whichever term you want to use, Father and myself. They're all one God. It's all the same. But one of the things is the twain become one. It's a mystery, according to what God's Word says. Something that that is hard for us to grasp because it doesn't make sense with our natural mind. But in verse 27, it says, "...to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." He wants to make that mystery known to me. And then you go into other scriptures, it said, "...for, for God who commanded the light to shine out dar- of darkness and shine in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge the glory of God in the face of Jesus. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels." that is the excellency of the power that may be of God and not of us. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit of so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Christ be in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies, by the spirit that dwells in you. That quickening is not just raising from the dead after we go, we go ahead and we die. That quickening is something that's current, it's now, it's his very nature, it's life, it's healing, it's opening our minds to see fogginess being removed from COVID-19, fog rebuked that it's gotta be quickened by, because of the very power in the word of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Amen? But if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify those deeds, you shall live. There is not an option. This is your intent. This is not intent of Holy Ghost. If you still have willful sin in your life, if you have willful darkness in your life, that is not the will of the Father. You have the ability to repent, to turn, to convert. You have the ability to make yourself accountable to men and women of God to help you to stand firm and not stumble back into that. You have the ability to walk in holiness. And you're not by yourself. That's what the body of Christ is for, to hold each other up. And to walk in that victory. And the more we do that, the more we're going to begin to understand and we're going to hear the voice. The more we're going to be able to flow with Him. And we're going to immediately hear that voice and we're going to be able to activate action and go with that. And we're going to see on earth as it is in heaven. Where is the kingdom of God anyway? Where is it? What is it? Terry seems to think it's in us. Really? Really? Kathy, is that what you said? How many believes that's right? Raise your hand. Oh, kinda, yeah. Really? Very clear in God's Word that the kingdom of God, you not know, go out looking for it. If you hear somebody out there saying something or whatever, it starts right here. It's in us. And that's why Holy Spirit, when He comes in here, we are carriers of the kingdom of God. We are the portals. We are gates for the kingdom to come through. Without Jesus Christ, we are portals of hell and we will bring death, destruction, and it will not be life. So what he wants us to do, and this is gonna be uh, getting into more of a review now. There's a transformation that takes place. In Colossians three, one through four, it talks about setting our affections on high on the throne. And to walk at that place where we focus on him, where Jesus sits. And so that's where we have to start. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, worshiping him, praying, doing the things necessary, we're going to be able to walk through this transformation. and We're going to become more and more like him as we fellowship with him more. It says in verse 4 in Colossians 3 that Jesus will appear in you. It says in verse 5, to mortify the works of the flesh. Verse 8 says to put them off. Put them off totally in Ephesians 4 it talks about renewing our minds of taking off the old man and putting it down and putting on the new man we are the ones who do this God clean me up and we just keep going right on we don't get in the word we don't worship it's not going to happen that way you have a will in this whole process and so God is expecting you to draw near to him where he can draw near to you And then we have this happen. Everybody look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. Ephesians 2, verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby having abolished in his flesh the enmity the law of the commandments and ordinances that's done the Old Testament's done and this is how he's doing this to make himself of twain that means two two parts one new man one new man one new man. That doesn't mean that what you see and you know is Dan Lane or Charity or Harriet or Jimmy, that we're going to disappear and we will never have our identity ever again. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is there will be a gradual transformation as I begin to listen to his voice, as I begin to give him more areas of my life, control over him, as I begin to be obedient to go out. See, when he speaks these words to me and tells me to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, and I I begin to get that word in me over and over and over, it's not a a hard thing for me to go over and to lay my hands on somebody and pray because I'm thinking his thoughts now. I'm co-laboring with him. I'm becoming as him. So that when people see me, when I walk in a room, there should be a peace on me. We've heard this before, right? I've shared this. But we've got to get this in us to make the change for such a time as this. Some in this group are gonna be scattered all over the world sharing this this gospel. You're gonna have to be able to walk in this in a practical level as a part of who you are, being impacted, the, the cultures. Take time to work on your personal life right now, your mind, your thinking, your discipline, your finances and management of your finances, your weight and overall health, your relationships and your behavior. In other words, put on the new man now. Put off the old man. Renew everything. It's time for the shift. It's time to grow. It's time for that to change. All right, so we've got the process of transformation. Uh, the purpose is going to be for God to reveal himself to you, through you, and in you in this transformation. It's all based on relationship. It's all about bringing Christ out in us. So how do I initiate this? How do I get it initiated? It's a transformation process. It starts with Jesus and me getting saved. It uh, carries forth another step in this process called sanctification or salvation with me being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And now there should be a transformation over time to get where I'm supposed to go. So how do I get this thing up and running? Well again, we can't do it on our own because of uh, the Holy Ghost has got to go in and ignite it in us to begin with. But when He does, I shared this a few weeks ago in John 14, 6. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The way is to consume the Word. I can do this, I can get in this Word, I can lay that book down. I've been reading about the Word and spend at least an hour reading this before, for every hour I spend reading those other bu- words, books. How many of us spend as much time in the Bible? And this is meddling. How many of us spend as much time in this Word as we do watching TV? Don't raise your hand. Good. Everybody here spends more time reading the Bible than they do watching TV, right? How, much, how many of us spent as much time yesterday praising God as we did getting excited about uh, a football score in the game? value system. That's all this is. I'm meddling. I know. It's not legalism, but we've got to consume this Word. We've got to delight in this Word. This is going to have we initiate this in our life. I'm supposed to be being transformed, and it's just not going to happen out of the vapor, out of the ether. I've got to consume the Word, the truth, testify, brag about Him all the time. I shared that with you. The life, commune with Him, worship, wait on Him, learn His voice, pray in the Spirit. Now, how do I maintain it? Okay, that's how I initiate it in my life, and I keep it, start get it going. How do I maintain this relationship with the living God in me? There's a maintenance that, has, that we have to take and, and, and take care of it. I wish I had known all this to begin with. It would have been so much easier. It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. It tells me in Galatians 2.20 that I'm supposed to be living by the faith of Christ. And the way that I do that is by thanksgiving. Y'all remember this? Thanksgiving is number one. By the way, I shared this a few weeks ago, and I only shared three of the four things that we maintain, our continuous seating our sitting with Christ in the heavenlies. So I left out one of them here that we need to, to cover. So the first one here is thanksgiving. We're rooted and built up in him and established in faith as you have been taught, abound therein with thanksgiving. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be known unto God. So thanksgiving is everything that we do is to give Him glory for it. Everything you get to see, it all goes back to the cross, the blood, Everything, every victory we give Him glory and credit for. It. The second way we maintain walking in Christ, Christ in me. It's humility. It's humility. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted to mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Hum yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We'll be seated with him in the heavenlies. Overcoming that haughtiness. The third thing here that I mentioned was remember. Remember the former things of old. For I'm God, and there's none else. I'm God, and there's none like me. So I, I know that I'm going to give Thanksgiving and everything going on all day long, glorifying Him. I'm maintaining to see this thing, Christ in me and me in Christ. Humility. Did I get haughty with that individual in that store, or was I humble and let them do their junk and then bless them anyway? So we had a, a testimony of that on Friday night in Upper Room or impact, rather, excuse me, humble ourselves, thanksgiving. Be encouraged by remembering what he's done in your life. And then the fourth thing here that I had been remiss to share, the anointing, thanksgiving, humility, remembering him and what he's done, the anointing. There's a place where grace and faith meet. The gracing of God comes from Barak, I go in and I listen to him and I praise him and I magnify him and I bow my knee down to him. And he, he, as a master, he blesses me. He speaks to me. He gives me what I need and gives me my directions. That's the first thing. Second thing he does, he goes mouth to mouth and he breathes life into me. So he's equipping me with his spirit. What's the third thing? Anybody Remember? We get our identification in him. The night, the, the, the uh, horses, two of them meet, knights in that case, and they raise that visor up where they could identify each other. So I get my identification in him. He's hovered over me. He's at a place where he's, he's now put on me what I could go out and do, which are the other three meanings of this word Barak, which means to speak with authority. It means to be a peacemaker. It means I will prosper. If we're walking together and he's putting that his his spirit in me, if he's giving me eyes to see and ears to hear what he's doing, what he's saying, which he's going to do, he's giving me directions and he's giving me that life and my identification is in him, in the blood, in what he says I'm going to be and who I am. Then I can speak according to that. Then I can walk this walk out and expect prosperity is going to be mine. Then I can walk this walk out and expect that I'm going to be a peacemaker everywhere I go. Then I walk this out, then I'm going to start seeing signs, wonders, and miracles because when he speaks to me and he says whatever it is to to, uh, go over and give this man $100, just pretend. He's got a pocket full of money. If he told me to do it, I'd do it. There's no substitute like immediate obedience when he tells you to do that. That's where the prosperity will start coming back to you because he he will never, ever allow you to outgive him. I'm talking about you too, right? But God is that way. But listen, we're going to end with this today. We're not through with the subject, I don't believe. We'll see what God does. There's a law called sowing and reaping. That's in effect, whether we realize it or not. As a man, guys, I don't think y'all can relate to this. Y'all are not necessarily looking for a woman to love you back. Don't remember that. You're really looking for a woman, and always have a woman who you can love, who will receive your love. Okay, is that right? So when I found this woman, she receives my love, and what do I get back when she does that? I receive that, that honor and that respect and that love and that friendship that I really need. And so we become one, and we walk this thing out. It's no different from Christ in our relationship with Him. Remember, it's a bride and bridegroom relationship. When I love and, and focus on Him to the point where I'm going to be obedient to what He says in His Word, I'm listening, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm, I'm discerning, I'm hit, picking it up with the, the spiritual feelers I have in my, that I'm developing over time. And I'm just pouring that love out on him. What do y'all suppose I'm doing with my walk? What am I giving God to work with? If I pour my love out on him, you, you can rest assured, I'm going to be getting his love back out on me because he's looking for people that he can love because he loves us so much. And what he's looking for is somebody that he can love that will, will appreciate him and love him back. It's that kind of relationship. If we pour into him, draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And then that's where we start seeing the dynamic things, the, the wonderful things of God moving in our midst. Amen?